It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Spurs in full cry here. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch, a bonus episode. My name is Windy, and I hope you're safe and well, listeners, in these troubling times. In a week where the Fighting Cock have made a fantastic podcast about COVID-19 and its very wide-reaching sociological impact, that's for their Patreon subscribers, you might expect The Extra Inch to be doing something similar, perhaps bringing in some data or medical experts to discuss this situation. But no, on this special episode, I'm joined by a puppeteer. Chris Thatcher, welcome to The Extra Inch. Hello, hello, thank you for getting me on. Thank you very much. Chris, you were a puppeteer on the quite incredible Netflix show, The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. You've got many other credits to your name too, but I'm very keen to talk to you about Spurs as well, and particularly how you ended up doing what you do. But um, can we start off by talking about The Dark Crystal, which I absolutely adored? Well, thanks. I'm glad you you liked it. Um, it, I'd like to act really cool about it and say it was just another job for me, but it it wasn't. Um, I think any time that... Henson's come calling uh it's a it's a well, you have to pinch yourself and I certainly yeah. did when they asked for this project it's the, I think it's the second time that I've worked with them uh the first time being on on the Muppets film the Muppets Most Wanted um and yes yeah, so when the Dark Crystal came around um they called me on the day of the auditions I, I don't know why it was suddenly done at the last minute but they called me on the day of the auditions and said are you free and of course you like you drop everything and say yes um it's quite a trait actually it happens quite a lot with with actors that you can get castings at the last minute and you just have to drop everything so that's a shame but anyway um and I was I was doing some work at the time and so I had a couple of hours before the audition so I had to quickly jump on YouTube and find uh luckily they had the original film of the Dark Crystal on on YouTube so um and I had like a couple of hours so I just just um binge watched the whole of the film just to remind myself because it was a film that I loved when I was a kid Mm. uh, and scared the crap out of me as well (laughs) Um, as it did a a lot of people when they were younger I think but um, so I had to kind of just get myself back into the zone uh, before going off to the casting and uh, meeting the creative team and um, 
trying to do a good job so when when that all happened you kind of went along to your audition mm-hmm. your, did you have to audition or did they just give you the job oh no no i had to I had to be cast for it the, the, wow a lot of the times with the puppeteering um i have been just been given jobs if that happens because you've worked with people before and they know your work um but with with the dark crystal such a big project and with it being netflix um it was with a lot of american puppeteers and core team that kind of had to see what you could do. And it's a, it's quite a different thing than, say, The Muppets because uh, it's more realistic. It's more the, mm. the Gelflings, uh, the characters within uh, The Dark Crystal, have a more human aspect to them. So you can't be kind of bouncing around going, yay, yeah. and doing things like that, like The Muppets in it. So they, they have to kind of um, they have to make sure that they know that you can take on that style. Um, and they gave us, um, well, the first, I think the first thing they did was give us a Muppet-style puppet to, to play around with um and once i'd once i'd done a little bit with that and they knew that i was not rubbish uh thankfully they gave me one of the old style gelflings um that had been remodeled i think for this particular production and uh and i put that on had to do a little bit of script and they kind of you know gave me some direction there and then i did a callback and the callback um again was with more gelflings doing some of the script with other puppeteers some of which i worked with before uh, and basically doing different characters that they'd come up with for the script uh, and then they would cast it appropriately there were really a very small amount of parts going really and a lot of them had already been allocated to the american core puppeteers that jim henson used people from sesame street people from the muppets over there um and it was a bit of a long wait but eventually yeah found out that i was going to be part of it and um and cried <laughs> yeah yeah it's just one of those big jobs and you wait around and i may not get another big job like that for another couple of years or, or may never get it again but just to be part of it you know you do pinch yourself especially when you you get on the set and you realize the budget that they have it's like a, you know it's the same kind of thing as say game of thrones or whatever so yeah. you turn up and you just see these huge sets and the, the huge puppets which i'm sure we'll get into and uh and then of course they chuck it on your arm and then you get ready to film and again you, you crack yourself again because you just want to make sure you do a, a good job you know I, i'm really um I, i'd be intrigued if someone hadn't seen the show i'd be intrigued to see how they'd respond to what you've just described because it must yeah. be quite surreal so should we sort of talk about what the nature of the show is i guess the best way to describe it is an epic fantasy would you say sort of yeah it's it's kind of like a childish thing in a way but it's made for families and adults as well and this as you mentioned it's got a very creepy undertone to it and I can imagine like like you many others were scared of the original film and certainly this reboot as well I think it did have a quite dark um backstory to it yeah well it's, it's the first film it's the first big project that Jim Henson did when he was still alive um that involved just puppets and no humans so it was a big ah. undertaking um so because uh, I think it came uh it's near the time of labyrinth but of course that labyrinth had you know humans in it but this is just yeah. just puppets so um so getting getting on the set it was yeah it's it, basically the story is there's a place called Thra it's in the world of Thra and this is a prequel to the original film um so if people are fans of the film they'll kind of know what the future holds um but it's set in this world of Thra with gelflings that are in the world and they're also these creatures called the Skeksis which are evil creatures and suck the life out of this mystical dark crystal and uh i think one of the scariest things about the film and indeed it is involved within the series as well is that they find ways of draining the essence 
i.e. kind of the life soul out of creatures to give themselves more life to keep them immortal. If they don't get this essence, then they end up dying um, like one of the characters does in the original film. So it's it's pretty dark. And um, I remember from being a kid and watching some of those scenes in the film where the puppets had their, their life sucked out of them. And it's it's quite harrowing, but um, but really exciting as an adult to go back into that yeah. world and yeah. suddenly feel like you're part of it, um, especially seeing characters like the Skeksis, which are based on a kind of um, a Jurassic dinosaur and bird like creature. Um, and they're just hideous. They are. Um, they really are. Th- there's uh, there's one particular one. I'll just point out while it's in my head now. I can't remember the exact name of it. I worked on it briefly, and uh, the face of this particular Skeksis is covered in pus. And between scenes, they had to cover slime on its nose, and it would just drip <laughs> off. And uh, one one of the particular days, I had the uh, exciting job of uh, this is quite a basic skill that anyone could do, to be honest. But anyway, I was stuck within the Skeksis holding uh, this ball. And as I squeeze the ball, it blows air into the head of this pussed up Skeksis and it would just gyrate and, and, and pulse and all the slime would drop off. So it was like reliving my childhood fantasy when I had like, um, you know, when you could buy pots of slime as a kid or ectoplasm and stuff yeah. like that. I was suddenly doing and getting paid at the same time. Amazing. So, that, I mean, that's always been the dream of just basically a child wanting to grow up in the entertainment business is that you kind of just want to muck about and, and get paid and. I'm happy to say that during that job, that's what happened. I mean, there's many months, including right now, where there is no job and there is no work. Oh, um, but, yeah. when, but when you do get it, it's um, it's those moments that keep you going as an actor or as a puppeteer to say, yeah, I was I was doing this at this point. And, uh, and it's also, it's nice because it's stuck in time. Now it's on Netflix. Your name comes up. You can see the puppet that you're particularly manipulating at the time. And uh, it's something that you can leave behind, you know. It's such a huge, complex show. And you kind of um, distilled it really well there into like the main crux of it. But there's such a lot of characters and lots of characters doing different things in in different mm-hmm. sets as well. Um, mm. So it is it's, it's kind of very wide reaching in in what they achieved in in that show. Um, but I'm interested in kind of hearing about the the set itself and the scale of the puppets. So how how big are they and are they fitted to you? Oh, they're not fitted to. I think some a, a few puppets may be slightly fitted to uh, the particular core puppeteers that use them, but essentially no, because what happens is there are particular puppets that will be used by particular puppeteers, but not in every single scene. Because if there is um, one particular puppeteer, a guy called Warwick, who is the is Hacker the Dog on CBBC, so he's involved in uh, in a big way in the project, and um, he takes on quite a few of the um, of the puppets. And he'll make sure that if he is taking on a different puppet, uh, a different scene, then he'll have to put on a different. I'm not explaining it properly, but basically each puppet needs to be used by everyone else to make sure that they can do it, if that makes sense. So they can't mold it to anyone. Um, And as far as the scale of the puppets is concerned, um, the Gelflings are pretty big. I mean, the heads are nearly as big as my head. just send you a photo through but yeah so if you hold it up next to your head they they hang down quite far down to below your your waist um, and they are heavy and because because a lot of them have animatronics in them so as you're holding them and holding the rods for their arms um you can sometimes hold um something that manipulates their eyes but a lot of the time you have people on remote control offset looking at monitors who will control their blinking and their looks around um and we'll do the mouth movements naturally 
but they've got the expressions within their, their brows and their eyes and their nose. So I'm assuming then that because they're so large and taking up a lot of physical space, there's no kind of room for much improvisation there. It's probably quite well scripted and you have to follow things to the letter. Is that right? Yeah, um, I, I should go back to your, your previous question just briefly because I didn't mention the Skeksis. They're huge. Mm. I, I thought that would be the best answer to your question, which is this, the Skeksis can put fit two people inside them. Oh, wow. So you have, um, if you imagine someone uh, standing inside a huge costume with their arm high in the air poking up above their head and that hand goes into a head of the Skeksis and then you have someone else that goes inside the body and essentially hugs the other puppeteer and they control the other arm and within inside that actual puppet is a monitor and so when you're inside the puppet you can see what the camera's seeing and you can adjust accordingly but it's it's pretty uh, uh disorientating to be fair and that i mean i won't go into how technical it is but when you look at monitors you have a choice as a puppeteer to see exactly what the camera sees or see it flipped round now it can be a bit easier if you see the camera flip round um but if you see just what the camera sees if you kind of look left with your puppet on the screen they'll look right so you've really got to get used to it if that makes sense i hope mm. that made sense mm. um sorry what was your last question uh, yeah, like how, how closely did you have to follow scripts to the letter? Because I imagine there's lots going on at any one time and you need everyone to kind of be in tune with what each other's doing. I think um, with, with this particular project, really, you had to stick to the script. To be fair, most of the, the characters that I got had minimal script. Um, they would give a lot of the American people the full on script, but mm. they really... If it's a little bit more of a kind of improvisational comedy, maybe Muppets or something, as I just explained, like Hacker or Hacker the Dog on CBBC, most of their performances mucking about and uh, and improvising. But here, there was so much to think about because they were steady cams. So you had the director, Louis Leterrier, who had... Um, uh, a camera attached to him and he'd walk around so it wouldn't be a fixed camera where you'd be able to look at the monitor and know exactly what you're doing because the camera was constantly moving so you had to make sure that your head's not in shot so there was one particular scene it was a market scene where I was playing one of the villagers and the camera was going through the market so if the camera's further away from you you have to be lower with the puppet and when it gets closer to you you have to be higher and if you get those dimensions wrong you'll you get seen and then the the shot just goes out the window and they have to do it again so in answer to your question there's not that much i wouldn't say there's that much um improvisation as such um because there's so much going on yeah, um, yeah but there always is a little bit i think the best improvisation is when something goes wrong we know it's an outtake and then everyone goes crazy because they know <laughs> it's going to go on the outtakes real so uh, so that's got and then puppets start singing and jumping around and dancing and falling over <laughs> it, sound, it sounds like this is like physically quite exhausting to be inside the puppets for that long did you i mean did you have to take breaks in between I, I guess they have to give you breaks in between because your arms can't hold up these things yeah, are that long in one go you build up a stamina you build up a stamina and you, you end up having one right shoulder that's a, <laughs> your right shoulder a lot bigger than your left shoulder it looks a bit weird um you do build up a stamina but it, it is tiring and they do have to you know take breaks at certain times to make sure people because otherwise people's backs go they have masseuses on hand as well to make sure you know people aren't crippled yeah. um but um usually what you get is you know you're as soon as you cut 
the puppets will all hang down or they have special cushions to place the puppets on. Usually keep your arm in them if, if you have to. Uh, and then the next thing, after a couple of minutes, you'll hear puppet up and then all the puppets will go up. You'll acclimatise, find yourself on the monitor and then you'll, you know, they'll show act- action and then you'll go into it again. Um, but yeah, there, there's regular breaks to make sure, but you have to, otherwise people's bodies just wouldn't, wouldn't cope with it, especially with these particular ones. They're, um, yeah, they're, they're particularly heavy, especially for the Skeksis, the ones when, when you're inside them, because they have belts, they're kind of around your waist. So with certain people that play the Skeksis for a, a long period of time and another character called the Landstriders, they had extra um, rehearsals to make sure they got the physicality right. But also they had, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They, they had um, they had to go to the gym. Every day they had a personal trainer. So we turn up about six in the morning um, to start shooting at seven. And sometimes I'd see those people that are playing the land striders and they'd just be coming back from a jog. Wow. And, uh, and I'd be thinking, I've just arrived at six in the morning and, you, and you're coming back from a jog. So they really did have a, a tough, a tough time. Yeah, that's um, pretty grueling. Yeah, but again, it's one of those things you just, if you get a job like that, you're just happy to do it. Yeah, it's just, you know, I miss it already. Yeah, I bet. And, and do you know if there's going to be a second series? Well, it don't look like it. It looks oh. like, I mean, you think by now, usually I've heard that with Netflix, there's a certain amount of time they see how it's taken. I think it's been taken very, very, very well. But I thought I would have heard by now. Um, it doesn't look like it, although you think there would be because although it was very, very costly to do, the the, pu- the puppets are made. Most of the puppets are made mm. and mm. they cost some of them cost £20,000 each. So you think that at some point they would, you know, utilise that. Um, so the, the, unfortunately, the, the short answer is I don't know. And uh, of course, I want to know because I think we filmed for nine to 12 months and uh, I didn't do the whole nine months, but they get you in for a week or then or then two weeks or then a couple of days or then a month. And uh, and, you know, you just take it, you know, the work as and when, depending on what scenes they're doing. Uh, and I'd love there to be a second series, but I, I you know, can't promise it, unfortunately, which I'm guided about. <laughs> I would love a second series as well. It's um, it's a, it's one of those shows that not everyone's going to love, but the people that do love it will really love it. I imagine it's got a, a proper cult following. Um, so if you've not seen it, but have seen the film and have good childhood memories of having seen the film, definitely watch the show. It's really, really good. Um, but it's not <laughs> the only reason you're here, Chris. You're also proper Spurs as well. I'm uh, proper Spurs. So how did you, how, why did it, why did it start for you with Spurs? When did you become a Spurs fan? Uh, I was a young child and uh, I now know that I was surrounded by people within my close family that were uh, Woolwich and oh, much wow. to my dismay. I know, um, I've, I've since found out as I've grown up, like, oh, okay, they kind of had an affinity. They weren't big Arsenal fans, but I've heard that they were like my granddad and uh, my uncle. But um, when I was younger, I was, uh, had a chat with my step granddad his name was Alf Parks and it gives me great pleasure to put his name out there and uh he told me about the great Tottenham Hotspur and just you know told him about the Lily Whites and uh went on describing their shirts and the name uh and their players and something that really struck with me was the name Hotspur because it's unique and uh when I was younger like I think it's being a kind of uh, a kid that wants to be an actor there's a, there's quite a lot of you you know want the attention I think it's mm-hmm. that and I, I love the fact that there was only one Hotspur it was unique it wasn't another Rovers or another United and uh, and I also like the colours I was into obviously being into things like the Dark Crystal or Labyrinth or those kind of things I was also into Star Wars who wasn't as a kid mm. and uh, I was really into Luke Skywalker being into it being white 
and uh, you know, in a white outfit, and Darth Vader, the evil person, being in black, and Spurs on the European nights were all white, and it just everything just seemed to to click. Um, and from that point on, I started following them, and I remember going to my dad's work, and he was an ambulance man at the time, and um, I'd sit in the in the green room and just sit and stare at the TV on a Saturday on um, teletext and just watch, you know, say Tottenham Hotspur nil, Everton nil, and it would just I'd just sit there, and then the screen would flick. And suddenly it would say one nil Clive Allen, and uh, and then it would go two nil Clive Allen, and then it would go three nil Clive Allen. And I bloody love Clive Allen. He was like an absolute hero. It was that about that time that I just remember just thinking this is amazing. They're they're fantastic, and Glenn Hoddle was my hero. Um, I I feel like I've got so much to say about Spurs that like literally you asked me about it, and I'm just like right. <laughs> <laughs> I've got license. I've got license to talk about them. But Glenn Hoddle's goal, though this was slightly before my time, but I, I saw the videos was his last goal. I think it was for Spurs, where he ran through the midfield, through the defence, and then the keeper came out and he just kind of goes to pretend to shoot and then just carries on running and passes into it. It's my favourite goal of all time, and that that was mesmerised by that kind of thing. And um, and that's how it all started really. And I've got pictures of myself as a as a kid that my my late nan made, made me. She made cakes and she made a birthday cake which was a full pitch with the goals and a football and some football boots with play up spurs uh written across it and uh got a picture of me and me uh scarf and sweatbands and uh yeah been a, a spurs spurs fan ever since wonderful wonderful I, I, it's amazing <laughs> people who don't have like a spurs link in their family it's amazing how often the name crops up or the color mm. of the shirt crops up mm. um but I've not heard it in relation to Luke Skywalker before. That's the first for me. I'm sure there are plenty <laughs> of others who, who pick Spurs because of Luke Skywalker. But um, yeah, that's the first time I've heard that. I love it. I though. suppose, yeah, I, I, I didn't even really think about it before. But it, it is that good and evil thing. I just see it yeah. also like I've got a real problem with red. Uh, and my wife likes wearing red. So that's a slight problem. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I've got a real problem with like, I, I don't know. I think going back to the Star Wars thing. We were bought little figurines as a kid and uh, someone bought me one of the kind of the, the, the guys that wore red cloaks and I just hated it. It's just <laughs> it's one of those things. So, yeah, it equates back to Spurs. I love the Spurs. Wonderful. And, and what sort of impact have Spurs had on your, your life and your work? <laughs> I mean, the good times and the bad times. I've, I've not had a particularly, I'm not going to go deep about it. I haven't had the best upbringing in my life, but Spurs have given me joy in my life when I've needed it and also it's the, it's a universal thing about football it's about family so yeah. and if I may say so your podcast and um and the fighting cock throughout the years I mean they, I don't think people realize it's like having your mates uh on the end of the phone every every day uh and that comes from Spurs so it's quite surreal to be talking to you now as I suppose I feel as I said to you briefly when we spoke earlier on is that I feel like I've spoken to you before and I have and uh and that's the amazing thing and that's what football brings um and of course it's like you know Spurs are like a family so um it's affected my life in, in many times up and down times and, and brought me brought me a lot of happiness 
I should at this point, I'm going to tell you about two two things that have happened that are quite funny with Spurs while I remember it. Right. So one one funny thing that's quite happy, a happy memory is um, only a couple of seasons ago when Spurs were playing at Wembley. We were playing Southampton and I think we'd recently been beaten by the scum and uh, I was in a mood of, uh, I was in a good mood. I just wanted to pick the fans up. Well, when I say I wanted to pick the fans up, I was just in the mood to cheer and, and not be down down about it. So uh, I was with a friend of mine and I decided, I was wearing my Tottenham Hotspur bobble hat and a scarf and um, it was quite funny because the mood was awful. It was Wembley, it was half empty, mm. we'd been beaten by our rivals and uh, just to kind of make my mate laugh, I stood up. And I put my scarf above it and I was like, come on. And I started giving, waving to the fans, saying, come on, get up, you know, just, and just laughing about it really, because it was just funny. And, um, and then a week later, I filmed a commercial in, uh, in Holland and I was taking a break and, um, I was just scrolling through my phone. And the next thing I, I'm looking at a picture of myself, uh, with, with the <laughs> scarf above my head on, on the front page of the evening standard. No way. It's, yeah. It's saying, um, I think it said fans livid, uh, at being forced to play at Wembley or something like that. And, um, and they caught this angle of me as I was cheering, like where it didn't quite look like I was smiling, but I was, but yeah, they chose this picture to say that these fans were furious, but, um, uh, yeah, so that was that was quite a claim to fame that I, I had mates uh, sending pictures into me saying you're on the front of the Evening Standard. So that's one of my claims of fame to Spurs. And the other one is um, not not well. It is an uplifting end. But um, when Fabrice Mwamba collapsed, yeah, um, I was there on my Todd uh, as I am. I look quite a lot of the Spurs matches. Well, I was a while ago because I didn't really know that many Spurs fans at the time. I do now, but um, I was there on my Todd and I was on the front row. Um, I think I was in the the East stand and um, obviously saw Fabrice Mwamba go down. And of course, I got, got to sort of see what the rest of the crowd saw, but not what the people at home on the TVs watching from the TV saw and uh, saw them, you know, giving the kind of life resuscitation and um, giving them the electric shocks. And it all went, you know, obviously very quiet and it was awful scenes to see. Um, and obviously we jumped forward and we know that obviously he's fine and that's really fantastic. So the reason I bring this up is because as I left the ground, once the match had been abandoned, and I'm walking down the high road, my phone starts going mental. And I just got like 35 messages. And um, all of them are just from friends going, you're on Sky Sports. <laughs> and I'm like, what? so I, I'm looking, I, I start streaming Sky Sports. Or I looked at it when I got home. I, I can't quite remember. But basically, as it happened, they, Sky Sports had decided to scan the crowd um, and catch their reactions. And I was one of the four or five couples or people to, that they scanned. And there was a image of me like kind of sitting there looking, looking like death, basically looking awful, like looking scared and worried for Fabrice Mwamba. And, um, and yeah, all my mates are t- like calling me going, Oh, it's amazing. You're on Sky Sports. It's hilarious. I'm like, well, it's not really, is it? Cause like this awful thing had happened. Yeah. Um, but it was, it's so fantastic that obviously he's, he's recovered and I've seen the images of him going back to the lane, the original lane and just, you know, thinking about it. And, um, although it was an awful time, I'm, it's, it's quite touching to know that I was part of that history of Spurs that saw someone he brought back to life and the crowd singing his name, uh, both Bolton and Spurs fans. And that was one of the times I was there and, um, yeah, it affected me quite badly really to watch what you thought at the time and the rest of the crowd thinking this guy's just died in front of us. Mm, um, so was, um, although he's, you, you mentioned earlier that, uh, there's a sort of sense of community and 
brotherhood that Spurs mm. has given you. And, and that was one of those nights where I really felt that. I felt like everyone was very... The Spurs crowd handled that situation so, so well and so sensitively. Um, and it really felt like there was a community and everyone was just getting behind him and just wanted him to be OK. And it's lovely that Mwamba's maintained a relationship with Spurs mm. throughout the years since then. And I think was it, it must be sort of eight, ten years ago now, I would have thought. Um, but yeah, it, that would always stick out in my memory. I was actually watching that match um, in a pub in, in High mm. Wycombe. I'd been, on, been for a few drinks with a friend during the day and I, I was a bit tipsy, I must admit. And I ended up nearly having a fight. I've never had a fight in my life. And <laughs> I'm not a big guy. Uh, and this guy, I was watching it and, and, and obviously what happened with Mwamba happened. And this guy was laughing. I just remember this bloke what? laughing at the screen like, oh, what's happening here? Classic typical Spurs or something like that. And I squared up to him. <laughs> I went up to this bloke <laughs> and I said, there's a guy lying on the pitch who might be dying. Show, have, have some decency. Mm. <laughs> and uh, yeah, my mate had to drag me away. And I, I oh, had to leave. Oh, but it, it was it's one a, of those nights where just my emotions were running so high. I think everyone's emotions were running high having seen that. It was it was difficult. Yeah, I, I just think that everyone with football, everyone thinks they've got an opinion and it should be heard at every every given point. And mm. in the stands, you can say what you want, but like there's just certain times when a bit of common sense is needed, and you should have shut the hell up. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously the season is paused at the moment, and we don't know what's going to happen. Um, yeah. But but what have you made of it so far? It's been a real kind of turbulent season with Pochettino leaving and Mourinho coming in. Where where do you stand on Pochettino in the in the final days of his reign? Oh, it's really difficult. I I felt like talking about Spurs being family again. The, the ride that like Spurs have given us over the last you know two years or so, and especially last season, never seen or felt anything like it. Um, I was there at the match when we beat City. At, um, uh, at White Lane and uh, I was there for the loss at Ajax and felt I kind of really was part of that journey and in fact I was mm. at a fighting cock social for the second leg of Ajax probably one of the best if not the best Spurs moment <laughs> of my life Amazing. and it and it went absolutely mental um, so I really felt like I've heard I've heard like Flav say it before on the podcast or, or you guys say it but like he's almost like a father figure Pochettino and you felt so safe after all these years with him, it felt like it was OK because whatever happened, like we've got this manager who's who's basically not Tim Sherwood, if you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, we, and um, and to suddenly find it change like it has. Um, I don't know how I feel, really. And I, I think it's I think when I I had I embarrassingly had about four or five years where I didn't follow Spurs. And I feel embarrassed to say that on a podcast and I was hoping not to say it. But when I trained at drama school, I went off for three years to train in acting and most of the people around me were not into football. And I couldn't relate to a lot of them because of that. And in the end, I had no mates to go and watch it with and I was doing all my studies. So the reason I bring this up is because when I got out of drama school and got into working and just doing my jobs, I I remember watching the Japan 2002 World Cup and thinking, why am I not following football as much as I should be? And I went down the pub and uh, I watched that current team. I think it had Tariko in it and Gus Poyet in it. And they were they were pretty shocking. Uh, but there was a relief about the fact that um, they were crap. And <laughs> and I and, and I was like, I don't care how badly they play. I don't care if we lose 5-0. I'm, it's my team that I always liked. And I'm ashamed that I didn't follow them for a few years. But actually, now I can get behind them. And the reason I bring that up is because I'm finding it hard to be in that 
position now because we had so many good years uh, and we were so close to glory. And um, I think the short answer to your question is um, I feel like a lot of Spurs fans do now, which is that I think we need to wait into the summer and find out what Mourinho can do with his recruitment uh, and who he can bring in. Because at the moment, with obviously the injuries that we've got, um, it's very hard to judge. And I, I remember a while ago thinking, oh God, Ericsson's going to leave. What are we going to do if Ericsson leaves? And, uh, and then I, if I thought to myself, what if Ericsson leaves and Sun gets injured and Kane gets injured? Like the kind of the mainstay, the, the, the front, three of our of our teams they all went I can't imagine well now we are seeing what would happen without them which is it's not a good thing so all we can do is hope they get back stay on with us and uh, and that we get some some good recruits in and hopefully Mourinho will do the Spurs way and go attacking like mm-hmm. we all like I mean again maybe I'm just a bit an old traditional Spurs fan but I'd if we go out attacking and, and go out and die in a blaze of glory, then fine. But um, I don't want to sit and see him play defensive, you know, and, and boring football for the sake of it. Although I would like to win a trophy, obviously. I think that's a very calm and reasonable take, Chris. I, I think mm. uh, most people would agree that it was very sad the way Bottino's tenure ended and yeah. that Mourinho has been pretty hamstrung since he took over. Um, mm-hmm. And it's very easy to sort of just get angry about this current situation and try and blame someone. Um, but actually, sometimes you have to accept that things have happened outside of everyone's control and it's it is what it is and hopefully mm. will progress in the summer, like you say. And before I let you go, I'm interested to talk a little bit more about your career if that's okay yeah so yeah I, i'd love to find out sort of how you first decided that you wanted to get into acting and and also puppeteering but mm-hmm. how did the puppeteering part come about as well so i don't know if you want to start at the beginning or however well, you I prefer. Should, yeah i'll start at the beginning to to get to that point but as, uh, i never really knew i wasn't one of those kind of people that knew from the age of three that they wanted to be a performer and all that kind of stuff there's none of that really i just wasn't very good at anything else and i got to my kind of mid-teens and uh, did some kind of amdram stuff and I had a mentor guy that directed that I worked with and he said uh, you know you should go to drama school and I said well that's for kids in it and he said no that's stage school you should go to drama school for adults and train and go ahead and so I auditioned and and got into one um and then the, the big challenge was getting the money together which is a, another story altogether um but I, in the in the end uh, very briefly I managed to get had to get some money from the National Lottery the Kent County Council um and Anthony Hopkins gave me some money unbelievable oh, wow. and Victoria Wood gave me some money I wrote hundreds of letters anyway managed to get some money from them and I'm very grateful for went to drama school and then got out and proceeded to try and forge my way in a career of musical theatre which is what I wanted to do and I did shows like Grease the Musical Starlight Express um, Avenue Q eventually was a show I did in 2007 now Avenue Q is like an adult version of Sesame Street for anyone who's not heard of it um, and that was brilliant because it, it was just anarchic the kind of thing that I liked but also was working with puppets and I'd never had any puppet training so at that point we um, the company drafted in a guy who'd worked with the Hensons hence my now link with the Hensons um, company and uh, he taught us the basics um, and I learned the basics and then did the show for a year in the West End uh, Avenue Q and uh, and then once it finished um, tour came up and I decided to do the tour and I played the part of Trekkie Monster and he's the monster that sounds um, like Cookie Monster so he talked like this like just like that <laughs> and um, except he's um, I hope I, I don't know if I can say it on the podcast but he's not interested in cookies he's interested in porn so there you go um, 
And uh, so it was a, a crazy character to play. And I played that for like six months and then it finished. And then the tour came up again. And I did it again because I loved it. And so by the time that the last tour finished, I just didn't want to stop puppeteering. But I'd got to this level of puppeteering within it where my skills started getting a bit more than the other people because I'd been doing it for a longer time. Not because I, I felt like I was particularly talented in it, but I think that you really have to practice and practice. And I'd had all this extra time of practicing. So I told the guy who taught me the original skills that I really wanted to be considered to do some more work. And he told me to self-train puppeteering on a uh, on a TV and film level where you have to start using monitors. So I taught myself and sent him some videos and told him I was serious about it. And then it was him. His name was Nigel Paskett. And uh, he um, he got me in um, out of the blue to go and do some assistant work on the on the Muppets, on the Muppets Most Wanted. And again, it's another one of those scenarios where you get a call and, and then you cry. <laughs> And uh, I got to do characters like um, Beaker um, oh, wow. and uh, Dr. Teeth from the band. And my favourite, actually, my favourite is Pepe the Prawn. And if anyone knows uh, the kind of modern bits, Pepe the Prawn is Spanish prawn. And I got given him and um, he's not your normal puppet. He's got a stick inside him with about five different things that move inside it. And they gave it to me. And uh, and then I said, OK, rolling. And I crapped myself and um, but managed to do it anyway. So uh, if you watch The Muppets Most Wanted, there's a film, uh, there's a scene uh, with Ricky Gervais in a bar where all the Muppets are there. And you can look and Pepe the Prawns is in there doing rhubarb and just chatting away with it. And that's me. And that's my claim to fame. That was amazing. Um, so um but yeah so it was it was a good day when uh we had like the kind of uh the first screening of it and stuff and uh uh yeah so it's, it, that, that's pretty much how i got into the puppeteering and then since then i've kind of moved away from musical theater i'm trying to do more puppeteering i do a little um online youtube series with a with a character called sloppy who again sounds just like tricky monster <laughs> and cookie monster put together but he's for kids um so that's a lot of fun and uh and take any kind of puppeteering work that i can along the way otherwise the rest of my career is commercials um and uh and other bits and bobs nice so if you, yeah. if people are listening and are kind of hearing what you're saying here and thinking yeah i'd, I'd like to <laughs> i'd like to do some of that where would they start where, where, where do you recommend people getting into that big old world of showbiz well i mean times have changed since i did it when i was younger i think that if it, in any kind of walk of life with acting singing performing i believe you need training and i think i say that because i trained a lot of people don't train now and some of the people feel like they don't need to train and they they might be fantastic on screen Im- immediately but there's certain things within the business which is etiquette which people don't kind of you have to learn along the way mm-hmm. uh, unless you're taught originally and, and i think people should train i really do so um there are various schools out there um from 18 upwards um, i went to mountview theater school um there's guildford arts ed uh that's for musical theater as far as puppetry is concerned i'm not too sure about the puppetry courses because i didn't take one myself i kind of obviously learn on the job but nowadays what with youtube and all that kind of stuff all you got to do is is pick up a puppet and 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 practice um but there are lots of disciplines with with puppeteering especially with the muppet kind of style stuff that i do that do need to be worked out like lip syncing to make sure for example that as you're talking the puppet is talking at the same time and not missing syllables that kind of thing that there is a, a real skill 
feel to it, <clears throat> especially the um, the film and TV stuff, because that's when you're working with monitors. Um, so just the advice simply would be put the work in, um, but you've got to really want to do it. Because the fact is, I may be saying I'm very lucky to have worked on the particular shows I mentioned, but there's months, sometimes years of downtime in between. So you've got to have fingers in pies in other pies or other lines of work to keep you going unless you're you know one of those very very lucky chosen few or or you become famous not that i want to become famous but you know there's not always work always around the corner so you've got to have other stuff going on to make sure it can can tide you by very sage advice um chris <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure and I, I don't think i've ever spoken to a puppeteer before so it was a very <laughs> unusual um uh, discussion but i really appreciate it oh um, mate the pleasure is mine the pleasure is mine where can people uh, follow your career if they wanted to where are the best places to kind of follow you on social media and whatnot uh, wow um well i'm on twitter i'm chris thatcher classic at name um and i'm on instagram which is um you can see more sloppy stuff which is that bizarre character that i did for kids so that's uh i think my instagram is thatch 310878 yeah get your pens ready for that for some <laughs> reason i for some reason i thought it would be cool to put my birth date in my instagram name what a pillock um <laughs> so um yes i don't know why i did that but otherwise um you know i've got a website which is christhatcher.co.uk um but i mean yeah the dark crystals on netflix still streaming right now and um and that's not even about me really the, the actual project itself is you know it's just so it's so fantastic and so much money's been plowed into it and uh, so yeah get it on netflix especially in these times if, if the if people have got a lot more downtime which i certainly have at the moment then uh, that's a series to look at definitely it's one to binge while we're all self-isolating yeah, Chris, yeah. thank you ever so much for your time very much appreciated uh, it's my as i said it's my pleasure and uh come on you spurs you've been listening to the extra inch Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Barney for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindner for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and SoundCloud D Lindner. Do check him out. He's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.